been through the whole shoot and match. We're in the second half of chapter 15, next week we'll be doing all of 16, and then we'll be done <clears throat> with Romans. And uh, given that we are burning all these to CD uh, for some posterity, I guess, um, they're available or will be available to have all of Romans uh, if you'd like to um, ever pick up on anything you missed or um, send them to somebody you know. Um, we do have some guests this morning, Al Geyer's brother, which perhaps we can get an explanation from him why Al is the way. Are you older than Al? <laughs> Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for this morning. We're grateful for your word. We'd ask that our minds would be submissive to what it says. We'd gain from it. We'd be changed by it. In your son's name, amen. We got down through verse 13. in Romans, chapter 15. And we wanted to finish off the, chap, the, finish off the uh, book within a couple of weeks. I'm trying to find Romans in my Bible here. It's been a while since I... The last part of Romans, after you've been through, you know big chapters like Romans 5 or Romans 3 or Romans 7 or Romans 6, 8, 9 or 11 or 10, any, any, any chapter prior to 15, um, you find that you're, you're so overwhelmed with so many big ideas, big ideas, practical points, things that have divided Christians and caused them to go to war with each other over centuries in all the earlier chapters of Romans. You get to something like chapter 15, it just... It's sort of like coming in for a landing after the exciting parachute jump. You know, you're, you're over with the ride. It's, it, your, your brain starts to shut down. You stop accepting instruction. You, and you'll start looking, especially in chapter 16, at all the uh, say hi to Rufus uh, sort of thing. And you say, oh, this is just the end of the book. And, and Paul makes some comments in this section about his travel plans, and again, your brain starts to shut down. You've had too much to think about. Holiness, uh, the nature of the Jew, the Gentile, the work of Christ, faith, big issues. You're tired. You just want to sleep. Romans 15, verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brethren, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. I don't know if you've ever stopped and asked yourself when you get to know each other. Have you ever stopped? And, it's, it's an odd question. I You say, I wonder if so-and-so so, so, so and so thinks I'm a Christian. Or, if so-and-so thinks, I'm a good Christian. You ever wonder 
I know I've been in lots of conversations where people have wondered if somebody else was a Christian. It's rare that you ask yourself whether other people think you are. Whether or not you have got anything going on in your life that would convince someone else other than you sitting here. You say, well, I go to All Souls Christian. We know that's a well-grounded, heterodox church. What do, you, do you ever ask yourself that? Or do you ever ask yourself, would St. Paul, if I met him, be satisfied with me? Look what satisfies Paul. Paul is satisfied with the Romans. He's never been there. He's heard of their lives. He's planning on going there, we find out later in the chapter, but he's never been there, but he's heard of how they are, and he is satisfied with what he has seen or heard about. He's convinced that their lives are, what? Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. That's, at least in part, an aspect of a list St. Paul has internally when he hears that about people. I was talking to Davis the other day, and, and we were talking about when you wonder about how someone's doing with the Lord. Bad sign when you have to wonder about how someone's doing with the Lord. You say, well, I don't have any information. That's the bad sign. Because when someone is doing with the Lord, out of the abundance of the heart, things come. Mouth speaks. Goodness happens. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, etc. starts to... And their conversation is filled with Christ. They have a desire to express the gospel in circumstances. They have a desire to speak of things holy. Because the the relationship with the blessed is is available to them, or is known by them. When I meet somebody in Christian circles, and then I, after six months or so, have to wonder how they are doing with the Lord, that means I'm getting no information. What do you hear about someone? What do you know about someone? What do people know about you? If someone were taking rumors about All Souls Christian back to St. Paul, and he's probably in Corinth at this time, about A.D. 56, um, he he gets some people who are visiting him from Rome. This is where he knows Priscilla and Aquila from. They're from Rome. Is he gonna, is someone gonna describe us as good people, full of knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And the desire is that as we instruct one another, we, that, that we actually have pursued this life in its holiness and in its knowledge of holiness to such a degree that we're trying to edify one another in the same pursuit because we see the rest of us laboring to be good and the rest of us laboring to know. And that is a satisfying circumstance to be in good and knowledgeable, with a life together that expects that we teach one another. We're engaged in the growth of one another. It's not about you all the time. 
He says something interesting in verse 15. But on some points I've written to you very boldly by way of reminder. Because of the grace given me by God. That's what's interesting. We just went through Romans, which is almost a crippling book of theological truth and, and Christian benefit and the life in Christ, etc. And he's saying, this is, I'm just letting you know boldly, directly, by way of reminder. These are things that when you go back to look at that, that verse that says, filled with all knowledge, I don't know if you looked at Romans and go, golly, I could barely get my hands around some of that, you know, start chapter one. I better go back there again and, and, and try to you know, you, f- you ever feel like you've got this little lump of clay that, that God has given you, like in art class in fourth grade, and you kind of barely make it, you tell your dad it's an ashtray, because that's about as close as it gets to anything, you know, you put a little dent in the middle of it, I got, a, I got an ashtray. You ever feel that way with the book of Romans, or any part of the scriptures, you go, my gosh, how does my head contain this stuff? And he's writing to the Romans, who he's satisfied are filled with all knowledge and all goodness, and instructing each other to remind them of these truths. Romans was just supposed to be a reminder. Now, it was a very direct reminder. He says, very boldly, I've written to you on these things, directly. But you should, these are things you should be embrace, embracing directly. I was talking to somebody... Years ago, uh, Mark remembers this, maybe Roy does too. Um, early days of the Drones Club, we had an assignment called Your Five Philosophic Bases of Life. You had to come up with five words that described why you thought the way you thought, apart from Christianity. Couldn't say Christianity as one of them. And a lot of sorts of very, very bad things came out, primarily from Mark and Roy. I, mine was, my list was brilliant. I think brilliance was one of mine, I think. But the, but you got to stop and say, in Christ, what would I put down? In Christ, what do I know? I've, I've threatened this a few times, to go out and buy some blue books from the university, those empty essay writing little blue books, those things you have finals in, and hand them out one Sunday morning and say, Convinced me of the gospel of Jesus Christ from the scriptures. You have an hour. Now you could write probably on the Norman Conquest adequately. You could possibly write on your area of expertise adequately. Can you, are you, with all knowledge, able to instruct one another on something as simple as the gospel? Do you see Romans as a wonderful reminder of what you hold dear? Have you spent the time getting to the point where St. Paul could say of you, I'm satisfied about you, my brethren. I know this is just a reminder, a very direct reminder, but a reminder nonetheless. What do you understand? What do you not understand? Pursuing goodness, holiness in your life, the way you are, then what you know about God and Christ, what you know about the revelation of God. So that if someone were to ask, golly, I, 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 I don't understand this point about faith and, and works. Can you explain it to me? And you say, well, let me phone the pastor. No, no, you're supposed to be able to instruct one another. Someone struggles with the issue of works and faith and grace and, and atonement and the nature of the death of Christ and the nature of Abraham's faith. Are you ready? 
we sometimes, when we make judgments of other people, we're pretty confident that we're Christians inside our own minds. And I want to ask you whether or not, if anyone else were to hold you to any kind of objective test, would you be able to convince them? Not convince you. We're egotists. We like to say, well, of course I'm going to heaven. And of course I'm, 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 of course I'm a Christian. I believe the right things. Am I good? Well, I'm not that good. Do I understand anything? No, not really. Could anybody come to you for counsel? No. But other than that, I went forward at church. Or I, I signed the card. I, I believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But do I understand a thing? Do I minister anything? Am I showing the effects of the, the Spirit in my life with goodness? I was talking to a young man the other day who was, I wouldn't say doing well spiritually. Bright young man. Um, he wanted, he knew that my opinion of his life was low. And he would like me to think better of it. But the only things he could grab at were the obvious, I'm, I'm attending church more often, and um, I'm not bad all the time. That was about it. <laughs> there wasn't any, you say, well, what if he were ten, attending church and, not, and, and was doing all these performance things? Even there... We've got a Christianity that we know the new covenant in Christ is that Christ is in you. Christ in you, the Holy Spirit in you, producing righteousness. Not you, like every other religion in the world, trying to be righteous to please your God. Your God is in you, being righteous. Right? It says, for God is at work in you, to will and to work for his good pleasure. Stop and consider whether or not these things are happening to you, whether you need to go back in your own private time and go through Romans again. Take notes this time. Start to understand it. Try to explain it to one of your friends. Explaining it to somebody else is a very desirable way. It's part of instructing one another, but it helps you get a hold of it. Well, St. Paul has written to them very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Anybody catch that? Didn't that just sound like a bunch of God words strung together? You know the language. You've heard pastors pray in King James English, haven't you? Um, somebody can just start talking and start throwing in the word mercy, blessed, um, priestly stuff. And you go, ooh. What did he just say? Do you, does that remind you of anything? St. Paul has been made a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Priestly service. Paul is imaging, remember Paul is dealing with his letter to the Romans to both Jew and Gentile Christian in Rome. And he's got this ministry to the Gentile world that is very, very defined. He's been granted this ministry. But he starts to represent it 
as a priestly service. Now, a priest is someone who is an intermediary. We have no other priests in Christianity. Priests are not actual priests, religious priests. I am not a priest. There are no such thing as Christian priests. There's one priest, Jesus Christ the righteous, the one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's our one priest. So what's Paul talking about here? He's got a priestly service of the gospel of God. He is, he is bringing the gospel in such a way, like an intermediary, like a priest. Look what he's doing. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable. So you've got this image being created of St. Paul being the priest. In the Jewish mentality, you had a priest who'd receive the offerings of the Jews, take them into the temple, and offer them. And what Paul is uh, drawing this out as he has already proved in the book, the Gentiles are the true Jews because of their faith. Anybody who has faith, Jew and Gentile alike, man, woman, slave, free, anybody of faith is a child of God. Everyone who has faith is a true Jew. But we do not have a religion like Judaism. We do not have a temple. We do not have a holy of holies. We do not have a priesthood. What does he say in Romans chapter 12? Anybody remember? I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. St. Paul is the mediator, the priest of Gentile offering. The Gentiles, by their faith, have entered this spiritual temple, and St. Paul is the mediator of that gospel that allows their offering, their offering of faith, to be brought to Christ, to be brought to God. None of it is actually a lamb or a turtle dove or, or some other thing, and it isn't actually a priesthood waving some incense or or, or sacrificing some small animal, because Christianity, Christianity is a spiritual priesthood. We are all, you might say, intermediaries, or all priests, the priesthood of all believers, and one high priest. I don't need another, high, another priest between me and God, but St. Paul, by bringing the gospel to the Gentiles like an ambassador, is accepting the offering of your faith in order that it might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. What the offerings we're making, the offerings we're making to God of our, is, our, is of our bodies as living sacrifices. The way Christianity functions is not a, is not a, a rigor of some uh, liturgy or uh, rite we go through. It's whether or not you've brought, as a Gentile, to God in Christ... Your life is a living sacrifice by the Holy Spirit. That's whether you've done that or not. That's the religion. And when people start to replace whether you have... Well, the hymn that John requested, I surrender all. Have you ever gotten to that point where you just surrender everything you are to God? You've given yourself as a living sacrifice. Because that's what's going to prove the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Going through these, through these uh, personal metaphysical moments with God, not through religious metaphysical moments. 
because we could, you know, we've got, we've got a church room here. It's kind of got beams and rows and stuff, and I've got a pulpit now. My voice is amplified, and, and uh, I just got to get the hat. If I can get the, the miter, maybe some robes, candles, little candle lighters, kids. Won't be candle lighters. We can turn this into a religious moment for you. And you could go home thinking you got a little dose of religion in God today. But in Christ, St. Paul has gone to the Gentile world to bring real offerings, real sacrifices that measure out what Christianity really is, which is only you giving yourself to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. He already showed us that earlier in the same book. And so when he says, I'm a priest, he's not claiming some ecclesiastical position. He's claiming a, rela- a spiritual relationship of what Christian worship is all about. Not an actual priest, but a participant who has brought the gospel so that the offering of the Gentiles, their faith, their giving themselves to God, would be acceptable. That's what he's been about. So that's, how we've got, that's what he was looking for. That's what we ought to be looking for. He wanted to bring the gospel to these people that they would offer themselves in faith to God. Have we offered ourselves in faith to God? Or would we rather still play the old religion situation where we can create all sorts of Christian denominations that go through all, all, all sorts of maneuvers to seem as religious as, well, you want to feel religious... You know, the worship of Baal, very nice temples, very nice temples. The worship of Baal is really very religious. You go to lots of temples of different gods, they will be as religious, and sometimes that confuses Christians. They see a National Geographic show on Tibetan monks or something, that they're spinning some prayer wheel. And you go, God, what, what devout people. I saw something in India where they were marching up this huge flight of steps with these towering things stacked up on them and then knives shoved through their, you know, chest. Then they'd shove sharp sticks through their cheek and out the other side. I don't want to be in that religion. But you say to yourself, well, devout, yes. And they're in some mystic fit. You know, they're not just doing this to make an impression. And it sometimes confuses Christians because they have been taught and never have been told to realize that our spiritual worship has nothing to do with this. This is just a meeting. We get together here because it's convenient. It's on a weekend. We got the time off. We want to know more about each other and we want to know more about our God and we sit in rows and learn about Him. But it's not a religious service. It is not worship. Your worship, frankly... is what you have walked this week before your God. And you can't replace it with this. We can make the ceiling higher. We can get this apps worked out so it really looks like, you know, I could sit in a chair back in here. This is, this is called an apps. It's called the uh, bishop's seat. And I avoid sitting back here because it, it's almost too holy, you know. Just, so I sit over here. But we could, we could do some things, make this more like a worship service, couldn't we? 
put heavens to Betsy. Your worship is all weak in how you have lived before your God. And nothing else. This is not worship. This is fellowship. This is teaching. This is convenient. I enjoy it. But we, we, are, we get confused when we see other religions doing something really religious because we, we've defined our Christianity as religion. You've seen that verse, who those people who rigor of devotion, self-abasement, severity to the body, enjoining abstinence from certain foods, these things are doctrines of demons. You can create a worship service if you want. The reason we will never have a worship team, one, because it is so bourgeois, that's one. That's just an aesthetic judgment, not a moral one. And the other is, I don't want to spend my time trying to make you feel like you're religious. Because the idea of my priesthood, like in the same sense Paul is, is to bring you the answer of Jesus Christ. To bring you faith in Jesus Christ, that if you express faith in Jesus Christ, it will be acceptable to God and be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, and you will become holy and good by the working of God in you. Not because we worked something out and got a special bass uh, speaker going so that the undertones of my voice be really convicting and make you feel even more blessed. Okay? Is it a deal? You be good, and I won't have to work so hard. Okay? You be good by the grace of God in your life, and I won't have to try to create a religious moment for you. I know I'm, I'm dressed a little differently this morning. Leslie wanted me to dress like her. So it's red and black this morning. This is not some sort of device to make you feel more ready for Christmas, nor is nor any device to make you feel more serious, because I'm wearing black slacks instead of khaki ones. Ignore all this. Do you know Jesus Christ? Has he changed you? Are you living in a surrendered state to his Holy Spirit or not? Tell us now. Oh, not right now. But be honest with yourself. In Christ Jesus, then, I have every reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has wrought through me to win obedience from the Gentiles by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit, so that from Jerusalem, as far around as Illyricum, I have preached the gospel of Christ. We don't have any record of St. Paul going to Illyricum. So we know that there are areas of his life we're unaware of, but that's one evidence point. Thus making it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on another man's foundation, but as it is written... They shall see who have never been told of him. They shall understand who have never heard of him. That's out of Isaiah 52, the, more of the passages off to the left. It's, part of, it's the beginning of the servant songs, songs in uh, Isaiah, um, where prophesying Jesus Christ, Behold, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. As many were astonished at him, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the sons of men. So shall he startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they shall see, and that which they have not heard they shall understand. Now Paul takes his marching orders right out of the word of God, out of this 
this gospel message in Isaiah. He says, I want to go places where other people haven't gone. And he's, he's, he's looking at Rome as a place he hasn't gone, but it's also a place where the gospel has been preached. He wants to see them. He wants to benefit them. But he's got people, places that haven't heard the gospel yet. And he's, a little later he mentions he's just going to pass through Rome. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be sped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a little. He knows that church has been founded by someone else, but he wants to know them, he wants to meet them, he wants to be encouraged by them. He's got a good view of them. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem with aid for the saints, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it. Indeed, they are in debt to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to be of service to them in material blessings. It's a good policy. Because as as we see the gospel open up the world and, and faith to the Gentiles and inclusion in the people of God... The Gentiles, as we were warned in chapter 11, don't get cocky about being included in the family of God because that sort of attitude, that sort of slippage, that sort of um, gloating, which has been a popular word this week, um, that sort of gloating is inappropriate for the Christian. They should recognize where your faith came from. Recognize Abraham. Recognize that the people that obeyed Christ first were the Jews. Some Jews. And so that when we concern ourselves with our generosity, we don't assume that we have brought these blessings on ourselves. You did not bring the blessing of the gospel on yourself. You were blessed by someone. Your life was changed. You You were wonderfully saved by the ministry of someone. Be aware of your debt to others, of what has come to you. But he's saying, I'm t- this is how we kind of gather he's in Corinth at this point, because that's, that's in Achaia, uh, and uh, he's, he was waiting there for about three years and getting a gift together to take. This is on the end of his third missionary journey, and, um, which lets us know that trip to Illyricum was somewhere early in his ministry that we don't have a record of. Verse 28. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been raised, I shall go on by the way of you to Spain. And I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now we know the story of what happens. St. Paul gets back to Jerusalem, riot breaks out, he gets arrested, the Jews try to kill him, he gets turned over to the Romans in Caesarea, they take him to trial, he appeals to Caesar, and he gets put on a boat and shipped to Rome. Not the way he was expecting to get there. He's asking the saints to pray that he can get to Rome. (laughs) Prayers answered. Uh, 
through a funnel. You know, I mean, there was a, a difficult time for St. Paul. He gets there. He's delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. The Romans deliver him. The Christians accepted his ministry. That was answered. And he wants to come to uh, Rome to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. Now, what refreshes, just like we started out the passage with what does St. Paul get satisfied by when he sees it in Christian lives? He sees goodness, he sees knowledge, he sees edifying the saints around you. That's what he says. What refreshes St. Paul when he encounters you? I, I quickly, when I, when I started thinking about, golly, what did happen to Paul? How did he get to Rome? He didn't just get to buy a new plane ticket in Jerusalem and, and head on out as his next on his way to Spain. Matter of fact, we don't know if he ever got to Spain. We know he gets to Rome. We know he's tried. We, we, we gather that he was released. He travels some more. We don't know where. He gets arrested again and then is killed. We don't know if he ever makes it to Spain, but it was clearly, he mentions it twice, it was clearly his intention to head to Spain, Roman, Roman province. And uh, we don't know if he gets there, but when he gets in the book of Acts, and I will wrap this up quickly. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Acts 28. Um, the last chapter, the last section. Paul has, has had a rough trip across the Mediterranean under guard, they get shipwrecked on the island of Malta. They finally get another ship. They get up to uh, uh, Sicily. Then they, uh, they land at uh, uh, Petuli, I think. And in verse 14 of chapter 28, there we found brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brethren there, when they heard of us, came as far as the forum of Appius and the three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with a soldier that guarded him. Paul was hoping at the end of this journey, he's writing in Corinth and asking for prayer that he would be delivered from the unbelievers, his service would be acceptable to the saints, he'd be able to come and be refreshed by the saints in Rome. It got answered ways that he didn't imagine. And when he gets to Rome, he's encouraged. He's been through a very rough road. And the gathering of the saints at the, at the south end of the Roman, the Appian Way comes out of Rome, out, out to the south. And, and they came to the Forum of Appius to meet him. And eh, I don't know how many miles that is from Rome. Not very far. And he was encouraged. It gave him courage. He's going to be tried before Caesar. But what he then sees in the Jews, because he's been bothered by the Jews throughout the Mediterranean, the Jews haven't heard anything of him in Rome. And so he invites them over to come talk to him, and he preaches the gospel to them for a long time, arguing. Verse 23, when they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers, and he expounded the matter to them from morning till evening, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, others were disbelieving. So as they disagreed among themselves, they departed. After Paul had made one statement, the Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you shall indeed hear but never understand. You shall indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, their ears are heavy of hearing. 
their eyes they have closed, lest they perceive with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn for me to heal them. Let it be known to them, to you then, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ quite openly and unhindered. And that's the end of the book of Acts. What kind of Christians are we? Are we like the Jews who like to come here and go for a day-long seminar and listen to this new teacher and just, be, just have it just be clogging our brains as, as we've become dull of hearing? We've turned this into religion, theological certainties and uncertainties, theological devices and, and, and machinizations. Are we alive to what is being taught by someone like St. Paul? Are we being refreshed by him, and are we refreshing him? Do we find ourselves laboring really to know, and not to find our own state of religion, and we come from all sorts of different backgrounds, clogging our ability to hear and understand? Are we like the Jews who have become dull of hearing and just can't perceive? Have you found the excitement that the Jews, uh, the Gentiles had when they first found out they could be grafted into God. Chapter 11. Have you found that excitement? It says it earlier in, in the book of Acts that when he preached, uh, when they heard that, uh, um, I think it was in Acts 17. Nope, it wasn't. I'd have to look for it again. Another circumstance where he says, I'll go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles, when they heard of eternal life, they rejoiced. Are you rejoicing in what honor you've been granted? Or are we, after 2,000 years, become the religious, Christian religious equivalent, the Christian religious equivalent of the Jews in this circumstance? Able to get together and talk and think about these things, but just being sludge as Christians. Unable to find the life that we're supposed to be gratifying each other with, unable to be teaching each other, unable to know, unable to be good because we're so involved in our religion. Well, our time's up. We're at the end of the chapter. It says, The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Examine you. Try to put yourself in the eyes of someone else and say, Is someone going to see Jesus Christ in me? And not is he going to see a faithful religious member of Christendom. There's a difference between a member of Christendom, which is just you being ready to put out a nativity set at Christmas, and being a Christian. What's the proof? Who do you satisfy? Are you still excited about this life that you have in Christ? Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're grateful for your great ministry through the Apostle. We'd ask that we would examine ourselves to find out whether we're satisfactory, whether other believers who rejoice in you rejoice in us, whether we benefit each other by not being dead in our theologies, not being dead in our beliefs, not being unable to hear the Word of God, that we, like St. Paul, would devote ourselves to welcoming the brethren and teaching from the Word and proving that your Son is the Christ. We'd ask you to bless us all for the rest of this day and for this week. Help our lives actually 
uh, be an irresistible sign of the truth of your gospel. In your son's name, amen.